I am uh, opening up my Bible to Daniel chapter 12, because we're going to be there pretty soon. I mean, during the sermon we will, uh, but uh, it will be uh, about four or five pages into the notes before we do. We are discussing the coming of Christ in three stanzas and a chorus. And the stanzas that we have been looking at include the first coming of Christ, which is his birth, and uh, we get to start celebrating that just in another week or so. It's coming up very soon that we'll start our Christmas series. The second stanza I call Another Coming, which is the rapture of the church. Uh, we talked about that for twice or so, several weeks ago. And um, today we're going to start the final coming of Christ, which is the third stanza of his coming. It is what we label as the second coming of Christ. Technically, that is what we call it theologically, the second coming of Christ to set up his literal 1,000-year reign on this earth. Now, I am one who holds to literal interpretation. So, uh, what I share with you today is not figurative, it's not symbolic, it's not imaginary, uh, in any way whatsoever. These are true things that God has said. And his word has given us ample evidence for that. So we're going to talk about it today. And the chorus to all of this is that the righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. And I've showed you at the time of the first coming that was necessary for them to believe that he was coming. And we had examples of those who lived by faith, and sure enough, that's what they did. The next coming of Christ is called the rapture of the church. And we have to live by faith as well. It hasn't happened yet. We're still here waiting, aren't we? Every day, it's a step of faith. We still are in this world, but we believe that Jesus is coming, don't we? And I think it gets closer and closer. Matter of fact, I know it does. We're a week closer than we were last week. But it is coming. But uh, as we even go into the second coming of Christ, the third stanza, we have to understand something. With these three stanzas, only one of them has been fulfilled. Two-thirds of the promises that go with the coming of Christ, the rapture and his second coming, are yet to happen. Faith is still very necessary in this dialogue. And that's why we're going to talk to it today. Uh, and this is going to be our challenge. Let me give you some statistics, and then I'll tell you what the challenge is. I found this on a blog by David Jeremiah, just some statistics. Um, the biblical references to the second coming of Christ in the Bible outnumber references to the first coming of Christ, his birth, eight to one. Scholars say there are 1,845 different Bible references to the second coming of Christ. In the Old Testament, 17 out of the uh, 39 books mention the second coming of Christ. In the New Testament, 23 out of 27 books. 27 books? They mentioned it too. I had to think for a minute. You ever had that moment, Sid, that 
No, okay. Thanks. Seven out of every ten chapters of the Bible make a reference to the coming of Christ. That's an enormous amount of Scripture. One out of every 30 Bible verses in the New Testament teaches that Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. Now, what the challenge is for us, it's like this. When you open up a Christmas gift and say you have a whole stack of them in front of you, uh, many times you pull the wrapper off, we look at the, the outside of the box and say, wow, thanks, this is great, or what is this, or something like that. And then we set it aside to open the next one. And in a sense, when you talk about opening the box of the second coming of Christ, you've got pieces everywhere. This is an enormous task to try to walk all the way through. But we know it's true. And the fact that it is so often referenced in Scripture brings it back to us again as to whether or not we believe it. The angels, the very last thing said about Jesus as he ascended into heaven, the angels said in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? They're watching Jesus go up, right? And they said, This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. That was the first reference to them that they had heard concerning Jesus. And do you know those disciples went on to live as if they believed it? We don't only see the evidence of the fact that they believed it in their teaching, but we also see that they were willing to even give up their own lives, and they did, knowing that he said that he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. They knew there was more to it than just this existence on this earth. They counted on that. They walk by faith that way. So let me tell you first what we're talking about when we say the second coming of Christ. Literally, and I use that word a lot, it is the second time he will come down to this earth to stay for a while. In his first coming, he came down to this earth and he stayed roughly 33 years. We are very familiar with that story. It's in the Gospels all over the place. But his next coming, which is yet to happen, we call it the rapture, it will be solely for his church, and it will not be an event on the earth. Believers will rise, the scripture says, right? They will rise. Some will rise from the dead, and others who are alive will rise to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. And the promise is, and so shall we always be with the Lord. I'm going to come back to that phrase in just a few minutes. Okay, hold on to that. Now the second coming that we're talking about here today is his final coming to this earth. The first time in his birth, the second time it's what we anticipate he will come. He will literally come down from heaven to land on the earth. Literally. The timing of that coming is at the end of the tribulation period, those seven horrible years we read about in Scripture that are going to happen on this earth. His coming at that time will have several purposes. And again, I'm going to come back to that in a minute too. But his coming will be 
as to some of the events to set up his kingdom and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And you say, how do I know that's true? Well, Revelation 19 and 20 gives us a lot of information on that, those facts. And we're not going into all that today. Again, it's a big box. (laughs) It's full of all kinds of things. But at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ, the Bible says, this present earth and this present heaven will be destroyed by fire. The wicked will be judged at the great white throne judgment. The Lord will create a new heaven and a new earth, just as the scriptures promised from Isaiah all the way through Revelation. It's all over the place in there. And what I have just told to you is a simple order. And these things all need well developed in order to understand them fully. But let's talk about what they are again. The next thing up is the rapture of the church. Following that, a tribulation period of seven years. Following that, the second coming of Christ, which we're going to talk about here. Following that, the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. Millennial, thousand. Following that, the destruction of the heavens and the earth. After that, the judgment of the unbelievers. After that, the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And eternity is ushered in. You got that memorized? That's the order. That's what Scripture tells us. And unless you want all 1,845 Bible passages today about the second coming of Christ, let me just hit the highlights. All right? I'm going to talk about what the Bible shows us in big pictures today. And I'm going to go even further and say why that is important to us. And how do we live in light of the fact that this is true? What is so important about this topic? First, let's look from the perspective of God's people, Israel. The folks we call the Jews. Much that was written about the second coming of Christ is written in reference to the Jews. That's very important to understand. When you're reading through the Old Testament, especially the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, most of the minor prophets, by the way, those that we don't see much of, Amos or Joel or, or Habakkuk or any others, they have much to say about the second coming of Christ. And I'm going to sum it up, and this is a simplified version here. Israel has been chosen by God to be his unique people. Upon them, he has given his covenants and his blessings. He gave them guidance. He gave them his law. He gave them the prophets. He gave them their Messiah. Yet the record shows in Scripture that they disobeyed. And they ignored his messages. And they profaned his temple. And they followed after other gods. They broke the commandments. And behind every single one of those, you could add the word constantly. That's what it feels like. You read through the Old Testament before? You ever feel like it's getting heavy? Because they just continue on and on and on. And God told them in His law that if they disobey Him, He will curse them with terrible events in their lives. They would have famines and plagues and wars and droughts and disease, 
and eventually he will have them removed from the land in which he gave to them. That is his promise. You'll find it in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. That's what God said. Were they removed? Yes, they were. We have that record too. The worst of it came in the year 586 B.C. when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was burnt to the ground. And Jeremiah gives us a very good record of that, both in Jeremiah and in Lamentations. Many of the people were carried off into captivity into Babylon. You would think that after such a punishment that they would change their ways. But they didn't. They didn't. They were given back their land after 70 years. They rebuilt their temple, yes. They were given more profits. They were protected from their enemies. And it didn't take long for them to disobey again. And they grew a heart that was hard to the things of the Lord. It wasn't long until they were ignorant of His Word. And according to the Bible, they walked in darkness. To these people, God sent His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our Christmas story steps in. He was born as a Jew. He lived among the Jews. He taught the Jews. He healed the Jews. He told them of God's plan for them. But like all the rest, they rejected Him. They crucified Him. And they had Him buried. Praise the Lord that it wasn't their plan that Jesus was following. Because we rejoice in the resurrection, don't we? He rose from the dead. We know also that He ascended into heaven. We know that His followers were instruments of God's hand just to start the church where Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. But that didn't change God's plan for His unique people, the Jews. You see, the church, when it is raptured out of this world, God's attention goes directly to the Jews. He hasn't given up on them. Matter of fact, he takes them through the tribulation period to break their stubborn disbelief. That's part of the reason for it. He must purify them. And he selected from them a portion who would believe him and be faithful to him. If we had time, we'd go to the storyline given to us in Zechariah chapter 13 and chapter 14. Matter of fact, I think it's even more graphic than the book of Revelation. When it talks about what the Lord is going to do at the second coming. It is powerful chapters in 13 and 14 of Zechariah. It shows the incredible work of God. What he's willing to do to change the Jewish story forever. And we touched on it a little bit last week to just a little bit as we were working with the rapture. But today I want to take you to Daniel 12. All that was introduction. But Daniel chapter 12 is the prophecy that was written concerning this time. And I want you to follow with me because this outlines what God intends to do for the Jews. Daniel 12, start in verse number 1 with me. It says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, that's Michael the archangel, by the way, 
the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. He's talking about the tribulation period. And at that time, your people, the Jews, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. They don't know it, but that rescue is going to be the second coming of Christ. Daniel 12, 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life. Stop right there and look at that phrase again. You know what that is? I'm going to say a funny word. You're not used to hearing it because you always think of only the church. This is going to be a rapture of the Jews. The dead, faithful Jews will be brought back to life. Does that stun you? Can God do it? You know, most of these people have been gone for over 2,000 years or more. 3,000 years, maybe? 4,000 years? Could be. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, it says. These to everlasting life. There will be a resurrection of the believing Jews. Most of them we call Old Testament saints. Some of them, I believe, will be tribulational saints. But there will be others to disgrace and to everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those, and those who lead will, the many, to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's a tongue twister. There's so much to say here, really. But here's the promise. The Jews who believed... Uh, will be resurrected on that day. They will enjoy the millennial kingdom because that's what they believed in and that's what they thought. Here is where they actually get to see the thing that they have had faith in for so many years. He's going to resurrect them so they can see their own promise that God has made to them and they will be able to live in it. Remember, Abraham didn't own the property he put his tent on. But God promised him a city, didn't he? And he will see it someday. And he will know it. Well, watch what happens here. This is so big. Um, if this is to be fulfilled literally, what that means is, this earth is going to see something it has never seen before. Because at the second coming of Christ, men like Noah and Abraham and David and Moses, and Joshua, and Samuel, and Josiah, just to name a few. Oh, let's put in ladies, like Sarah. Sarah, and Abigail, and Ruth, and Esther, and so many others there too. These folks who had faith in the Lord, they will be alive on this earth again during the millennial period. Literally speaking, that's what he just said. They will be back. They will be here. Why is that going to be unique? Because you're going to be here too. The church folks come back with Christ. What was his promise? That wherever he is, there will we be also. And if he comes back down to this earth in the second coming, you think he's going to leave his bride up in heaven? Thank you. He is bringing the church back 
with him. Think of this for a minute. Look at the earth around you right now. Don't, well, you know. It's full of people like you and me. People who have to take our medications in the morning. People who get up and go to work or have retired. We, we have families. We have festivals like Thanksgiving Day and all this coming up. We have a course of life that we live. Add to it glorified Christian believers. Said, so, ooh, that's going to be an interesting mix, won't it be? Add to it Old Testament saints like David and Moses. They're not going to know what to do with this. You say, how do you know all this? Well, there's 1,845 verses I could go through. But if you especially go into Ezekiel, do you know what it says there? This is so cool. In Ezekiel, the promise is given three or four times that David himself will rule in Jerusalem as prince over that people, while Jesus Christ rules over the whole earth. How is that going to look? It's amazing to me. That's what, if I, if I take this literally, I can't get around this one. It's going to be a unique time. A unique time where all these people will be together. Oh, by the way, can I add one other? The Lord Jesus Christ will be here too. The Lord Jesus Christ will be here too. He will be here reigning from Jerusalem. He will be in his glorified state. He will be literally and physically on this earth, reigning from that throne over the whole world. Let me ask something. How can anyone not believe the truth of Scripture if they see all that at one time? That's an amazing, amazing thing that is yet to come to us. This is what it was told to Daniel. Look at verse number 4. But as for you, Daniel... Conceal these words and seal them up in a book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase, and it has indeed. I then, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on the bank of the river, the other on the other bank of the river. And one said to the other man dressed in linen, who is about, above the waters of the river, says, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? Everybody asked that question. When? This is amazing. When? Well, verse 7 starts to outline it for you. Start with this. It would be after the tribulation. I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the rivers, as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for time, times, and half a time. And as soon, watch, as soon as they finished, Shattering the power of the holy people. What's that? He's going to break their stubbornness. He's walking them through the tribulation because they have this power that he's going to shatter. And all these events will be completed. It's really quite simple. When you're walking through this passage, the tribulation is necessary to bring about God's people to a place where they are shattered in their power and finally submit to the Lord. Finally, submit to the Lord. This is a plan God has for them. And it's an amazing thing to see. So Daniel starts to continue, or continues on in verse 8. As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. Like a lot of us. 
So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said to me, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. And the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, and those who have ins- uh, but those who have insight and understanding. And then he goes to describe more of that tribulation in verse 11 through 13. From that time, uh, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now, we don't know, honestly, what the extra 45 days are about yet. We haven't figured that out. Uh, but they will happen too. But as for you, go your way to the end. Watch this, verse 13, very important. Go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion. That's the promise. At the end of the age. This is a fulfillment of the promise the Lord made to his Jews in the Old Testament. He said, I'll give you this land. I'll give you a Messiah. I'll give you a kingdom. You're going to enjoy peace like you've never known before. You're going to see things on this earth that has never happened before. I'm going to give you this promise. I will bring this kingdom in just like I promised. And so, Daniel, it's okay. Just trust me. In the end, I'll bring you back. I'll raise you up. So you can have your allotted portion at the end of the age. This is amazing to me. I I read this and I'm really quite stunned. When I see these things and put the pieces together, I look at it and say, wow, the world has yet to see these things. It's amazing. So, we read it and we say, now what do we do with this? Well, purpose number one, tribulation, second coming of Christ. What's it all about? God must finish his promise to his Jewish people. He made the promises. He will keep the promises. That is guaranteed. The second coming of Christ will fulfill these things. That's why it must take place. And second purpose is that God must redeem the Jews and bring them into a position of faith in him. Up till now, they have not shown much faith at all. But in Zechariah, let me give you a couple of those verses. You want to follow it, Zechariah 13 and chapter 14. I'm going to hit just a couple of them. But 13 verse 9. That's not far from Daniel, actually, if you're heading toward the New Testament. Because all those little minor prophets uh, start up in there. Zechariah is one of the longer ones, so it's easier to see. Haggai is right in front of it. All right. So Zechariah, you move all the way over to chapter 13, verse 9. God said, I will bring the third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested and they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. They're not there yet. Zechariah 14, just pop into the next chapter. Verse 1. 
Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. This is the end of the tribulation period. This is the battle of Armageddon. Let me just give you a summary of what that is. All the nations of the earth will gather for a final conflict against Jerusalem and the Jewish people. They will be trapped in that city. The nations of the earth will surround it. They will take it. They will break through the walls. They will capture the people. They will kill a great number of them. They will start a victory party. Because they finally did what they've been talking about since, I don't know, how long has it been? They've been after this for a long, long time. And finally they're going to see it and think, we just won. We just won. They forgot one piece. That's when the Lord comes back. That's when he comes back for his people. So watch what happens here. In verse 2, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. The house is plundered, the the women ravished, and half the city exiled. The rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. And the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. That's the second coming. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And then the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will be moved toward the north, the other half toward the south, and you will flee by the valley of my mountain, for the valley of the mountain will reach to Azil. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all... The Holy Ones with Him. If I was a Jew reading that for the first time, I'd think, ooh, angels. Because that's all they would have attributed to that. The Holy Ones are coming with Him? But I think it's more than just angels. This is what's fascinating to me. Because it could be angels, yes, and it probably is angels on top of that. But it also, according to Revelation chapter 20... And 19 is who? Us. And by the way, if he's resurrecting the Old Testament saints, guess who else? Is this amazing or what? It could be all of those. But he says he's bringing his holy ones with him. And in that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day which the Lord is known to the Lord. Neither day nor night it will come about that at the evening time there will be light. And in that day living water will flow out of Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one and his name The only one. Wow. That's a lot to digest, isn't it? That's a big thing. But I want you to see something. The Lord will keep His promise. We have a verse in Philippians that says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that verse. It reminds me all the time that He's not finished with me. He's still working, and, and he won't quit until it's all done, and I'm more like, that I'm like Christ. That is his ultimate goal. That's his goal for you, too. 
You think he's going to succeed? Oh, yes, he will. I guarantee it. You might even go kicking and screaming, but he's going to see it through. Because that's the way he is. He who began the good work in you, he is the one who will finish it. If I take that same principle about our God, who always finishes what he starts, he who started the good work in the Jews is the one who will also finish it. Is he capable of that? Absolutely. Is it going to take a lot to bring this about? Wow, yes. But what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to me? You will be an eyewitness of these things. You will see that. You will see his second coming. You will be part of it. You will see his millennial kingdom. You will be there. And I count on that because he says, wherever he goes, we go too. You will see it. You will be an eyewitness of it. And so what does that mean to you? It says to me that it's still an issue of faith. It hasn't happened yet. The only way we can take these words literally and believe that they're going to happen is by faith. Go to Second Peter 3 for a minute. Second Peter 3, all the way to the back of your book, almost, way back there, Second Peter chapter 3. If you're in James or Hebrews, you're not quite there yet. If you're in First John or Second John, you're too far. Second Peter 3. Verse number 1, let's start there. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken to by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last day mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Kind of looks like where we're living now. And they would be saying, where is the promise of his coming? They don't believe it. They're mocking, right? They're mocking. They say, oh, you guys believe in him. No. Are you guys crazy? That's not true. It's not going to happen. They mock the very thing we're talking about today. They mock the idea that Jesus will be king over this whole earth. They mock the fact that we as believers will be back in glorified state. They mock the fact that the Jewish state is going to survive and it's going to thrive and it's going to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They mock at it. And they mock at this, and this is really quite fun about this, if you call it fun. It's my uh, theological fun, I think. Uh, They are the ones mocking the second coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ is when they get punished. And they're sitting there saying, oh, he's not going to punish us. No. They're mocking it. Why would they want to see it if it's their punishment? But they say, where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep? All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They parade around as if this earth is eternal. And it's just going to keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. And when they maintain this, he says, it escapes their notice 
that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Remember who said, uh, let it be and it was? God commanded light. God commanded water. God commanded that the earth be formed. God did all that by a word. They forgot. And it's interesting to me, by the way, side note, just to the side. They deny Genesis too. And why not? If they deny the first thing God did, it's not hard to deny the second thing God would do, is it? So they deny the Genesis record because they don't believe it. It escaped their notice that God did this long time ago. And, by the way, they mocked the flood. Oh, it couldn't have been a real flood. No, it didn't cover the whole earth. That's not possible. And he says in verse 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. And, verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There will be a day when the Lord destroys this earth by fire. And it won't be because of a nuclear bomb. It won't be global warming. It won't be climate change. It will be God who does it. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. He's talking to you now. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. In other words, he doesn't have a calendar like you do on your wall. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He never has been. Some people count it as slowness, but the, patient, but the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, watch it, believer. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You heard it. You know it's true. It's going to happen. So how do you live? How do you live with that information? How do you live? It's called holy conduct and godliness. If anything this world needs right now is for people to walk holy. We need this world to see godly people. That's our job. We're lights in darkness. We're supposed to represent Christ in this world. We're supposed to stand firm in, our, in the truth of His Word and say we believe the promises. We live by faith. And how do I know that? Because verse 12 says so in these ways. You're looking for that day, aren't you? That's a person of faith. Looking for it. Looking for it. Looking for it. That's the same phrase used for the people that were waiting for Christ to be born the first time. They were looking for. Looking for. We are still to be looking for the fulfillment of these promises. We're supposed to live like that. That's called faith. And by the way, here's the harder one. Hastening the coming of the day of God. Why? Why? Hastening the day of God. What's that? That's uh, spoido in the Greek. 
And that means uh, to speed it on, to urge it, diligently to urge it, to earnestly urge it, to await eagerly for it. We ought to be excited. Jesus Christ is going to rule over this world someday. Isn't that great? I hope we think so. That's what a person of faith does. When John finished that whole book called Revelation, what was his final comment? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He couldn't wait. He wants to see God's word fulfilled. He wants to see Jesus Christ glorified, don't you? He wants to see the promises realized. He wants to see the Jewish nation come to faith. He wants to see the rescue of those people. He wants to see the ungodly people punished for their sins. Seems like they get away with it all the time. They won't. He wants to see Jesus Christ on the throne. He wants to see these things. He believes it. So he longs for it. And he urges it on. According to his promise, verse 13 says, According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Are we looking? Are we looking? Are we eager about these things? Do we want them? Folks, here's the reality. If Christ should come for us today, which I'm ready for, I don't know about you. I can't wait. If Christ comes for us today, there will be seven more years, and then He's coming to this earth. If He comes for us today, by the year 2029, He is coming back. Because the seven-year tribulation fits between the two. He will be coming back to set up His kingdom, and all these things will be visible. Visible to His people, visible to the world, and visible to you and I. We're that close. We're that close. Do you believe that? It's a matter of faith. It's recorded in Scripture. Like I said, I just pulled out a couple of verses. <laughs> and I said, wow, these are significant. But if you go and dig and dig and dig, you will find the Lord is consistent in all of His promise. All 1,845 verses are consistent with each other to say the same thing. They all bring up the same point. It's all a matter of faith. And I'm supposed to live as if today is that day when it all starts. I'm supposed to live as if today is the day of the rapture. And yet I'm supposed to work as if my job is not finished yet. I'm not just going to go find a telephone pole to sit on. I don't like heights anyway. But I'm going to serve. And you're going to serve. We're going to keep going because the Lord hasn't come yet. So he must have us here to serve him. That's what we're here for. But all the while, as I keep going... I'm supposed to live by faith, just as they did when Jesus came the first time, just as they will do when Jesus comes the second time. That's our calling, to continue to walk by faith. All right, my time's up.
Ran out of sermon notes anyway. That's a lot of information, folks. There's a lot. You say, I don't know a whole lot about this. Read the book. Open it up and read it. And watch for these things. Like I said, you'll find it in almost every single book you go through. Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming. I hope that excites you. It ought to excite you. Heavenly Father, we are just called to be people of faith. We try to dissect your word and understand it better. We pull out verses here and there. We see things and we say, wow, that's going to take faith to understand. That's going to take faith to believe this. That's what it's all about. Your word comes by hearing and hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are called to see these things and understand them as best we can. But thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us in all truth. And yet we're supposed to believe them. And more than just have it as head knowledge, we're supposed to live it. We're supposed to live it. That's called faith. And I pray, Lord, that you help us today with these things. Impress it upon our heart. Give us an appetite for it. Give us a thirst to know more. Give us a heart's desire to see Jesus Christ come, to see his kingdom set up eventually, to see him rule over all this world, to see the power of our God visibly with our own eyes. We long for that day too, Lord. May we be those who live by faith today, believing that it's coming. We look forward to you, Lord Jesus, coming for us first. We look forward to seeing your second coming as well. Work it into our hearts so that we live by that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.